This is from the Unitarian Universalist Association Action of Immediate Witness, adopted and affirmed June 23, 2018. End family separation and detention of asylum seekers and abolish immigration and customs enforcement. Seeking asylum is a human right. Criminalizing refugees for seeking asylum and the theft of children by Immigration Customs Enforcement, ICE, from parents and family is immoral, inhumane, and is a clear human rights violation. Unitarian Universalists are called urgently to prophetic witness and concrete action that would stop the incarceration and separation of asylum seekers and to call for the abolition of ICE. We are called to do this work in relationship with immigrant-led organizers and to support and amplify their goals and their voices through monetary donations and by showing up. Thank you, Patty, and thank you all for showing up this 4th of July week. Our topic this morning is the relationship between fundamentalism and tolerance, two of our country's foundational yet seemingly conflicting values. On the one hand, we uphold a staunch commitment to the perceived values of the famed founding fathers. But on the other, we Americans tend also to lift up individualism and progressiveness and the idea that our strength as a nation comes from our embracing our diversity. But even before these became perhaps the two defining poles of our American landscape, the question of fundamentalism versus tolerance has been debated in religious circles for centuries. Indeed, from the earliest days of the Christian church, there have been situations where the official position of the leadership has been pitted against the conscience of the individual believer. And more often than not, the opinion of the religious institution, whatever it was, the Vatican, the Council of Bishops, the English Crown, these would uphold the orthodoxy or true teaching, and dissenting views would be labeled heresies. Now, it is of course important to know that we come from a long line of heretics, those who chose to follow their own conscience rather than bow to the rigid fundamentalist orthodoxy of the religious power. And remember that the word heretic does in fact come from the Greek for one who chooses their own values. It was only later that this word came to mean someone who chooses values counter to the church's teachings. And from our earliest history within the young Christian movement, our spiritual ancestors were those who questioned the ultimate authority of the church and argued, like Origen did in the third century, that all people were inherently loved, inherently saved, or like Arius in the fourth century, who said that the goodness of God was one and unifying. And though both these views have survived throughout the millennia to help inform today's 
Unitarian Universalism, they have both been labeled heresy by not only the Vatican, but the majority of other Christian denominations as well. But this morning, we also lift up the second of our Pick a Sermon auction winners, Ann Day. Ann, where's your hand? Just to recognize. Thank you, Ann, for your donation, and thank you for the topic of today's service. This topic is particularly appropriate because of the 4th of July, which is coming up this week, and also because of Ann's long and unique family history, personal family history. Now, on one side of her family, I've learned that Anne is descended from those who came over on the Mayflower and has had some very interesting ancestors throughout colonial and eventually American history. And perhaps the most famous and influential of her direct ancestors was the woman named Anne Hutchinson. Who here has heard of Anne Hutchinson? About half of us. That's fantastic. Now, Anne. Anne Hutchinson uh, was the first female spiritual leader in the colonies. Ms. Hutchinson had been born in England, married a wealthy textile merchant there, converted to Puritanism, and then made the dreadful journey across the Atlantic in 1634 to land in what was then a tiny farming and fishing community in Massachusetts named Boston, yes. Boston was so small at the time, in fact, that the Hutchinsons leased land on an island in the middle of Boston Harbor upon which to graze their sheep. Now, quickly becoming involved in the Boston church, which was then headed by radical Puritan minister John Cotton, Hutchinson would begin leading the women of the congregation in Bible study. And though her scholarship and zeal would initially be embraced by Cotton and the male leadership of the church, when a new minister arrived with different ideas, she and the women's group protested the shift on doctrinal grounds. Now, their debate basically boiled down to an age-old Christian discussion about the nature of salvation, and we won't really get into that today, but the point is that Hutchinson's authority with the women of the church and her outspoken criticism of the new minister threatened the orthodox power structure of the Puritan church system. Now, the result of this disagreement was Anne being tried for heresy, not once, but twice. First in 1637 in civil court, and then again in 1638 in the parish, or believe the church court, found guilty on all counts in both courts. Anne Hutchinson was banished from the Massachusetts Bay Colony, the first person to be banished from the colony, and relocated with uh, some of her children to a vast wilderness that was virtually unpopulated, which is now a little town called the Bronx in New York City. <laughs> So who here remembers something we talked about recently that happened in 17th century New England around trials? Shout it out. The witch trials, exactly. Now these happened several generations after Anne Hutchinson's trials in the 1690s. 
But Anne's trial was used as precedent in those eventual trials. And uh, her banishment paved the way for the mass accusations and hysteria that resulted when the church controlled the courts of New England. This is our first example this morning of how America has been intolerant in its history and the drastic, sometimes deadly effects it had on our people. But again, who remembers what happened a couple generations after the witch trials? Anyone? The Unitarians and Universalists came about, right? The descendants of those Puritans, those very people who tried and executed women and a few men for witchcraft, some of whom were undoubtedly in Anne Day's family, started to question the legitimacy of what had become nothing short of a theocracy, right? Parish churches governing the surrounding area as both police and bishop, minister and magistrate, combined with newly available translations of the world's religious literature, non-Christian literature, this distrust of faith as government created the perfect fertile soil from which the fruits of liberal religion and religious tolerance itself would blossom on these shores. Folks like the Universalists John Murray and Benjamin Rush and Unitarians, Mary Moody Emerson, her, her nephew, Ralph Waldo Emerson, their compatriots, George Ripley, Henry David Thoreau, Margaret Fuller, and on and on and on, all of whom espoused tolerance of different ideas and dialogue between and among people as core religious values. By the time our country would declare and win its independence and begin establishing the rules of its own government, separation of church and state would be paramount to the developing value system and result in that ever important first amendment to the United States Constitution, the beginning of the Bill of Rights, which reads in its entirety, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That is the first line, the very first line of the Bill of Rights. And you would think, that it must be pretty important, certainly to the founders of this country if they put it first. Well, we actually have Anne Hutchinson and our earliest free thinkers to thank for this essential part of our country's identity. And for a while after this nation's founding, religious tolerance would flourish with dozens of Christian denominations, as well as a growing number of non-Christian groups popping up all along the eastern seaboard and moving westward as the population did, as well as Unitarians and Universalists. The beginning of the 19th century would see Quakers and Jews, Baptists and Catholics, Lutherans and Anglicans build congregations and establish national institutions to support 
their outreach, and their operations. But as the new nation began to struggle with its own values, especially where they involved the institution of slavery, and the states moved ever closer to the conflict we know as the Civil War, a new brand of religion began making itself known. This actually has origins about 100 years earlier, started by the 18th century theologian and evangelist Jonathan Edwards. By the mid-1820s, there arose a neo-Puritan movement, one deeply committed to the ultimate authority of the literal Bible. The concept of predestination, which said all people were determined for heaven or hell prior to birth and nothing people did in their lifetimes could do anything to change that determination, as well as a wholesale rejection of all differing views. Now, with this movement came a huge swing of the pendulum away from the burgeoning tolerance first upheld by our spiritual ancestors and then affirmed in that First Amendment to the United States Constitution by our founders towards an exclusive fundamentalist expression of faith. This movement stressed the absolute authority of Scripture and promoted the most conservative most literal interpretation possible. Now, it's important to note that prior to Edwards and his fundamentalist movement, the Bible had not largely been viewed as a literal accounting of history, but rather sacred literature steeped in metaphor and myth rather than facts. It's all changed with Pastor Jonathan Edwards. And of all the theologians in our American past, I'm sad to say that Edwards may have been, in fact, the most influential, as he invented the idea of the tent revival and is essentially the direct precursor to conservative televangelists such as Billy Graham and Jimmy Swaggart and indeed the whole of the fundamentalist Christian movement. And this movement is still strong today and leading the moral and spiritual crusade for the most fundamentalist and least progressive values. This movement, which paradoxically upholds both the, both the anti-abortion and pro-death penalty positions, is almost exclusively anti-gay and anti-immigrant and which, sadly, in no small part, is responsible for electing our current president. Which brings us to present day, the cusp of Independence Day 2018, where we as Americans have swung between the extremes of fundamentalism and tolerance, the church controlling the whole of the government in Puritan New England with disastrous results, to a celebration of pluralism set down in our founding documents, to a return to conservative and top-down interpretations of scripture, we are, for better or worse, a diverse culture. Even if the fundamentalists wanted to, they couldn't erase the rich diversity of cultures, religions, and beliefs that make up this country. Likewise, even if we wanted to, we couldn't negate the influence of fundamentalist Christianity 
on our politics and societal values. But just as how we've seen intolerance at the hands of our government has had disastrous results, especially for folks like Ann Hutchinson and the dozens of innocent, innocent folks later convicted of witchcraft, we are now seeing the horrific effects of our new so-called zero tolerance policy on immigration. Enacted by President Trump and Attorney General Jeff Sessions only a few short months ago, this zero-tolerance policy requires immediate prosecution of any and all persons entering the United States through anything but the official sanctioned channels. There are no concessions made for those seeking asylum. And as we have become aware over the last several weeks, this policy has resulted in thousands of children being separated from their parents at the border and turned over to Health and Human Services. Worse, these hundreds of families and thousands of people, the vast majority of whom are fleeing real and documented violence in their homes and are generally, generally eligible for immigration on the grounds of asylum, have been housed in inhumane detention centers which more resemble kennels than homes. I won't get into the details now, but suffice it to say, our government is in blatant violation of some of the most basic tenets of the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights in our handling of immigration cases. And anytime fundamentalism or literalism gains the upper hand in legislation, we open ourselves up to draconian government which prosecutes those it wants to silence, like with Ann Hutchinson, or imprisons vast portions of our population, as in the mass incarceration of black and brown people for minor first-time infractions, or the indefinite detention to which many of our immigrants are now subject. Recognizing that both fundamentalism and tolerance are embedded in our DNA as a nation, it is up to us to ever advocate with our bodies, our voices, our resources, for policies and decisions grounded in tolerance as opposed to the alternative. Democracy itself is a progressive value of tolerance. The idea that we each deserve a say in the governmental decisions that affect our lives is an exercise in tolerance and a true celebration of diversity. While much more efficient for a government to uphold a single perspective, to benefit a single segment of the populace, among our core values and strengths as a nation is this unique brand of participatory governance. And we progressives who count the early universalists and unitarians and transcendentalists as our spiritual ancestors, we have a responsibility to uphold the values they professed in spite of, and sometimes even because of, the actions of the radical fundamentalist right. Thankfully, we do have some avenues through which to do just that. As you heard from Dawn earlier, tomorrow at 6 p.m., right across the intersection outside behind me, people from all walks of life will gather to voice our concern and outrage 
at the current administration's zero tolerance policy and the abhorrent treatment of asylum seekers at our borders. Faith leaders will help present our moral and spiritual justification for a policy based not on fundamentalism or literalism, but on tolerance and the belief that human rights are human rights, regardless of the nationality or civic status of those humans. So if these issues concern you, and I believe they should, I invite you to attend tomorrow, but also to engage in that tolerant and democratic process. This November, certainly, but between now and then as well. Call state and federal representatives, write letters to the editor, post blogs and statements of conscience wherever you can and to whomever will listen. In engaging in this one, in our democracy, advancing for tolerance in the public sphere, we will not only be upholding our own values as Unitarian Universalists, but the values of our American nation as well. So again, happy 4th of July, happy Independence Day, blessed be, and amen. <laughs>